This podcast is brought to you by Gridiron Heroics Media. Check the mic and make sure it sounds right, boys. Welcome, one and all, to the Gridiron Heroics Football Show. I'm Max Dean. You can find me on Twitter at TheMaxDean. And today is our Tuesday show, which means I am joined once again by Kyron Samuels, ex-D1 offensive lineman at Jacksonville State, ex-AFL offensive lineman, and just all-around good dude, of course, our director of social media as well. Kyron, how are you doing today? Doing pretty good today, man. We had an eventful weekend of NFL ball, so I'm excited to get into it. Yeah, we got a lot to talk about. So we are going to cover the Monday Night Football game between the 49ers and the Rams. We're going to talk about Kyron's offensive line of the week and performer of the week and whatever else we decide that we want to chat about today. And I definitely have a couple of things in mind uh, to, to kind of close out the show. So let's jump right into it, man. First of all, I, something we haven't really talked about that much is that I love defensive football. I know you're an offensive guy, offensive background, obviously being a lineman, but I love good defensive football. And this was a pretty defensive game between the 49ers and the Rams. And I like that they play two different styles of defense. It gives your eyes something to adjust to every time possession switches. That's just something that I really enjoy. Uh, personally, uh, especially if I don't have outside noise distracting me, because when you have a lot going on, it's easier to just watch offense and see what happens. But when you sit down, you can really see what the defense is trying to do. And I think, you know, the result of this game definitely went with the best defense on the field. What were your 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 primary takeaways from this one? Because I, I have a few players I want to shout out, but I want to hear what you have to say. Um, so my primary takeaway from this game was uh, how much better uh, Kyle Shanahan is than Sean McVay in this matchup, at least. Um, it's hard. To, it's really hard to say this because, like, everybody loves Cooper Cup, right? Um, great player. There's no doubt about it. Fantastic guy. Um, played against him in college. FCS legend. I mean, he put up ridiculous numbers. However... The way the offense is called and ran is at a detriment to the other 10 guys on the field, in my opinion. And you, I think that was on full display last night. 19 targets for Cooper Cup is borderline criminal. Like, it's hard to say that because he's such a good guy. Like I said, he's such a good guy, such a good player. But it handcuffs the offense in, in a very, uh, you know, bad way. Also, just how – I don't want to just – Take a crap on him. So I'll just talk about how good the 49ers, <laughs> how good the 49ers D line is. Oh my God. That front seven, I mean, and even the guys in the backfield, um, defense backfield, they come up. I'm talking about potentially the best defense in football right now. I know they're two and two, they're still working out the Kings. Um, they have some injury stuff they're getting over still. But um, even the linebacker core, like Greenlaw and, and Fred Warner are there's not a better linebacker tandem in football right now, in my opinion. Like it's not mm -hmm. even close. Um so that was a highlight to me. Uh, I also want to give a shout out to Nick Bosa. Obviously, you have to you have to shout out him. But my overall point, like you said, my biggest takeaway from this game, um, 
was just how limited the offense is for the Rams at this point. And people can blame the offensive line. People can blame um, the lack of the lack of a run game. But I mean, you have to run the ball. Um, you have to try to run the ball to be successful. I mean, other than obvious running downs, like the short downs, short yardage stuff, a couple first down runs, you didn't really get too many runs. And, and a lot of it is just based off of Sean McVay. This is a, like call out to Sean McVay. I think we need to see consistency from him. Everybody hails him as his guru. They won the Super Bowl. But if you go look at those last three games they played in the playoffs, let's, let's be very honest about it. They didn't play very well offensively. Without Vaughn Miller, without Aaron Donald being world-class, without Jalen Ramsey being world-class, and without Odell giving them a little bit of one-on-one freedom to be able to take those shots, and we'll get into that a little bit later, they don't even sniff a Super Bowl appearance, let alone win it. So I think we need to take a step back from the Sean McVay praise and actually look at things for what it is right now. That's my biggest takeaway from that game. Yeah, well, I think... Okay, when you're talking about offensive football, you have to present different looks to a defense. You have to. You cannot become one-dimensional. You cannot become so tendency-heavy that a team can make major assumptions about what you're about to do. When you have a defense that's as good as the 49ers, they will eat you alive if you do that. If they know that you're going to Cooper Cup almost every single offensive play, it almost doesn't matter what alignment you start off in. They just know where you're trying to go. I like, okay. First thing I want to mention is this game is on both sides of the ball. I, I believe a testament to making investments on the offensive line, no matter how good your quarterback or skill players are. I think neither team was able to push the ball downfield as a direct result of not being able to to pass protect for long enough. I think it was more prevalent with the Rams because the 49ers defense is even better, but the 49ers offense was was kind of the same way. I mean, the number of incredible offensive linemen that were on these two teams last year that are not there now is really notable. I mean, you're talking about um you're talking about losing uh, Alex Mack, right? He's not there anymore. Obviously, Trent Williams is injured at the moment. Um, I'm not sure if I'd say he's incredible, but the the 49ers are now without uh, Lincoln Tomlinson, and then of course left tackle for the for the Rams is retired now. Um, his name's escaping me. What's his name again from last yeah, year? Uh, Andrew Whitworth. Whitworth, yeah. So I mean, a, a lot of high quality players not there today. So I think. You know, that's something that needs to be shouted out too. So when you when you look at their inability to run the ball and their inability to pass protect and their over-reliance on Cooper Cup, I think that Rams offense is just too predictable. Anytime you're going to go up against a good defense, they just, they know what to look for. Right. And, and I do want to give McVay a little bit of credit. They're doing the same thing. You know, it's very predictable, but they're doing it out of a bunch of different looks. They're doing it out of a bunch of different um, formations, and they're trying, I guess, to mask it. But like you said, when the tendencies are so high, it's easy to pick up on it. And it's just like, how often do we see Cooper Cup in a bunch set or trips or in motion? Like, it's very clear, no matter what you do it out of, who you're trying to get it to. Um, they do so much clear out stuff, um, even when, like, Allen Robinson has uh, a two-way goal in man coverage like 
they don't look his way. It's just uncanny. Like, I don't, it almost feels personal to a certain extent. It's like, you pay this guy all this money, you brought him over from the Bears. Um, Odell's injured. He's figured to be an integral part of the offense. And you just don't even look his way. I, I actually, you know, added it up last night. Through four games and four football games, four NFL games, Cooper Cup has 54 targets. Absolutely insane. He had 19 targets last night in one game. Allen Robinson has 18 targets, including last night, for the entire season. So last night, Cooper Cup in one game had more targets than Allen Robinson has had the entire year. So it's like, why do you pay a guy $50 million um, to come do this or however much it was? You're the money guy, so you would know more than me. But I think it was like four years, $52 million or something like that, something crazy like that, to give him 18 targets in four games. It just, it just baffles me. I know the offensive line isn't great right now, but look across the National Football League. There's a lot of teams with below average to bad offensive linemen, to, excuse me, to bad offensive lines that are doing fine. Uh, the Miami Dolphins, for example. I, I understand that they're a little bit more fortunate at the receiver positions as far as pushing the ball downfield, but the way McDaniel um, uses the fullback, uses the tight end, uses the running back side of the backfield, uses the quick passing game um, to be a little bit more versatile in the attack is apparent. It's clear as day. Um, and I think that you should see more of that from McVay. But like I said, we, I think now that I've made that point, I want to talk less about the Rams and what they have going on and talk a little bit more about how good the 49ers can be going forward. I know, uh, you know, Jimmy's getting back. He played damn good last night, in my opinion. He, he did what he was supposed to do. It was a vintage Jimmy game. Nothing too crazy, nothing too wild, but winning football, stay ahead of the sticks, don't turn the ball over. Um, that pass that he made in the back of the end zone, even we'll talk, I'll talk about it in a second, but the pass he made in the back of the end zone to George Kittle was probably mm-hmm. the best throw I've ever seen him make. I mean, it, it wasn't a touchdown. They ended up taking it away because Kittle didn't get his second foot in. But it was, it was probably the best throw I've ever seen him make, even though he missed a wide open touchdown underneath. Um, it was two guys running wide open. I mean, it's hilarious. But on the best play, on the maybe the best throw of his career, he misses two wide open guys for a touchdown. It's probably the story of Jimmy G's career. But um, with how good that defense is, um, Debo making plays, I love the way that uh, Kyle got uh, Juice Check involved in the offense last night. We saw his explosive ability and the way he finishes. Um, I just love everything about it. And I want to give one more shout out before I pass it back to you. Um, the interior offensive line of the 49ers has been questioned heavy, especially the first three weeks of the season. Even in the preseason, you know, they answered the call last night. They played very, very well. Aaron Donald made his plays. He's Aaron Donald. He's going to make plays against everybody. Other than that, there was nothing notable to me. They didn't give up a sack all night. They only gave up two tackles for loss, and both of those were Aaron Donald just making a play on run, on run, on run game. So other than that, that interior offensive line answered the call. They averaged four yards a rush against the – uh, Rams, which is pretty good. They only ran the ball, you know, 20 times, which is not a ton. Um, it's, I guess it's somewhere around um, bottom to middle as far as average per game. But the interior offensive line definitely answered the call, and I want to give them a shout out. Yeah, you know, I think, okay, first of all, I just want to jump back to Allen Robinson and make a final point in that because yeah. you, pointed <laughs> out the money, you pointed out the money there. And essentially it's a contract for $15.5 million per year. The second Jeez. year is guaranteed. So they are locked into this for at least one more year. You, how, how do you justify your first target to this guy being halfway through the third quarter? It's a, it's a third and three, and you get him the ball for a two-yard completion. Yeah. Th- that, is, that is 
a misuse of this player. Now, the problem is I blame myself because there was so much hype around this player going into training camp through training camp. And it, initially I didn't buy it. I really bought it. I really, I really thought it was training camp excitement and hype, but it just kept growing and growing. And I was like, all right, I guess he must have, he's going to have a big year, you know, because when he was with the bears last year, I just, I just didn't see it personally. And so I, I, should have made my opinion more known on that before the season because it's just there's something there. I don't know if it's if he didn't get the targets early and now there there is an effort. There's not a trust. I mean, I know chemistry is and is important from quarterback to wide receiver. Obviously, that's a big deal. I think it's something that that should be talked about more with young quarterbacks, um, guys that went to big programs getting their rookie uh, wide receivers drafted to play with them. I mean, that I think that's honestly an undersold storyline because it's a huge deal, but I'll digress on that. Anyway, that's a problem. They need to figure that out because they've got more than a year and a half left of this. So figure it yeah, out. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, Higby has 14 targets. Like, that's inexcusable, man. I love tight ends. Tight ends should be more involved in every offense about paying. I've been saying it all year. I'm super excited about the 12 and 13 personnel resurgence because of how much cover two and, and deep safeties we're getting. But it's like, Higby should never have more targets than Allen Robinson. That should never, ever, ever be the case. Like I said, it almost feels personal to some degree. Like, Allen Robinson got a lot of man covers last night. He got a lot of two-way goals. He got some opportunities where he could just – and the, the, the targets that he got, he got six targets, right? At least three of them were like, just phase, just throw up, just throw them up and see if he can make a play. Like. Those aren't high-quality targets to me. The same way that you scheme Cooper Cup open and you scheme Higby open um, consistently, why can't Allen Robinson get those things? And, and it's not like, you know, I, I know a lot of people before the season were saying Allen Robinson is now the most talented receiver on the Rams. I'm not here to get into that debate. Um, but it's beneficial to the team and the long-term success of the team, regardless of what you think about them as individuals. To have more than one threat, to be able to scheme open more than one guy consistently is going to help Cooper Cup. It's going to help Matthew Stafford. It's going to help this offensive line. People are pinning their ears back. People don't respect the Rams up front. And, and then when you don't do anything as far as um, you know, creating opportunities for other people to make the defense uh, not pin their ears back so much and just come at you, you're putting everybody at a disservice. Uh, Matt Stafford's a vet, but he made some very bad decisions last night. And I think a lot of it was just being under pressure all night. He got sacked seven times. Nick Bosa himself had nine pressures on him. Like, you, you can't do anything with that. And I think that a lot of that goes back to coaching and the way the team is structurally set up. And if we're being very, very honest here, this is a lot of the problems they had last year before Odell Beckham and Von Miller arrived. When Von Miller arrived, um, even defensively, right, we're talking so much about the uh, Rams' offense. We're not talking about how poor the defense looked last night. Um, there was more opportunities for the 49ers to score more points, for sure. But um, before Von Miller and Odell Beckham got there last year and kind of taking some of the pressure off of, you know, AD and the, the guys up front, and that helped the back end and, and, you know, in return, and Odell being able to win one-on-one -on -one matchups, being able to not have to be schemed open to be successful. Um, before we got there last year, they were in the same boat, uh, a struggling team, uh, finding a way to win games, hanging around, right, but weren't successful in finishing against the good teams. And I think that's what we're seeing again this year. So without a drastic change, uh, a la Odell coming back and, re and, and signing and, and you know, taking some of that pressure off, 
Um, but we don't know what he is at this point. This is his what, third career, I mean, excuse me, season in the surgery that he's had in his career. We don't know how much he actually has left in the tank. Uh, without a, a serious addition on the defense, we don't know who is even, you know, available that would, you know, move the needle in any capacity. I don't foresee this situation changing for the Rams anytime soon. So it'll be interesting to see how this moves forward with them. Yeah, man. I think just get him the ball on a on a backside swing pass just to just to get him the ball in his hands in the first half. He's a big receiver. Let him throw a stiff arm and make a seven yard game. Let him get a first down. Let him get the the juices flowing. You know, or or just try and get him on a slant like in against man coverage. Like he he can win on a slant even if he's not the fastest guy out there. It's just if you are. When you give a defense the opportunity to blitz you so heavily because they know that against the blitz, 99% of the time, you are just going to try and get it to Cooper Cup, they know where to funnel the coverage. If they don't even have to consider that backside, then what you know, you're, what are you doing? So I, I, I'll i leave it at that for the Rams uh, on offense, but I definitely felt strongly about that as well. Yeah. You know, for, for the 49ers, I think we got to give credit to Jeff Wilson. That was a really nice nicely blocked play and like you were talking about the inside of the offensive line did a nice job there um explosive play it, it was so funny to me when there was a, a, a i think a back-to-back play where we saw debo samuel connect with uh bobby wagner where you know you just see those two bodies just smash together and debo moves a little bit forward and goes down the very next play it's jeff wilson connecting with bobby wagner and he just stands up and falls backwards like the just the difference in force between those two players is is so apparent on back-to-back plays but um i mean nobody wants to tackle debo when he gets ahead of steam you can see that (laughs) yeah i mean debo is a tank he's built like a running back he he, uh it was funny because i was having this conversation last year as well and i was i kept getting asked if debo is a top a top five wide receiver and i was like you know Actually, I don't think he's a top five receiver, but he is a top five football player that just happens to play wide receiver because he is a football player in every sense of the word. Debo can do whatever you ask him to do. And as without Debo on the offense, I don't want to know what it would look like. Like I said, it, uh, <laughs> I pulled up a tweet last night uh, from December of last year where I said Debo Samuel was the most valuable player to his team in the National Football League. And I think that it's almost as true now as it was then. I think Lamar um, is probably the most valuable, because you know, Lamar was injured at the time, and it was getting ready to go into the playoffs. He wasn't around. So Debo easily took that claim then. Right now, I think it's neck and neck between him and Lamar. But you saw just how valuable Debo Samuel is to that offense last night and what he brings to the table and just the respect that he, he garners from defenses as well. I mean, Debo Samuel opens up things for George Kittle. George Kittle opens up things. Uh, for Juwan Jennings and, and for Juice Check. And I mean, they all work together. I want to give a shout out to Ayuk. Ayuk is one of the most improved players in the NFL over the last two or three years. Um, people, I know people don't remember or maybe don't remember, but he was in the doghouse his first couple of years. Like a lot of people say they were going to move on from him. He wasn't going to, you know, amount to much in the league, but he has turned into a very, very serviceable guy, above serviceable, in my opinion. He's a solid number two in the NFL. I think that's clear as day, but. Um, Man, I'm impressed with the 49ers because that was a bad loss that they took, you know, last Monday night. And for them to bounce back the way that they did uh, against a division rival, uh, like a big, this is a big game. Like, this isn't just another game. Like, 
the Rams and 49ers is one of the premier rivalries in the NFL right now, in my opinion, uh, especially with the offensive guys as the head coaches. And uh, you got Nick Bosa, Aaron Donald, you got uh, Jalen Ramsey, Debo. Like, it's just very, very good matchups everywhere. And for the 49ers to bounce back the way they did was extremely, extremely impressive. And not just in one phase, in all three phases of the game, defense, offense, special teams was superb all night. I just got to give, take my hats off to them for coming in prepared and, and not uh, letting one game, bad game turn into two bad games and then that affect the rest of your season. So shout out to those guys. So what do you, what do you think about the 49ers response this week? Um, tremendous. I mean, they were, it's like you said, they were so well coached on, on every side of the ball. The offensive line was on point. Jimmy Garoppolo did have a tremendous game. He got the ball where it needed to go. Was even I, you know, when I say off platform, it's it's off platform for Jimmy G, not compared to some of these other guys. But he was doing right. that even like he was feeling himself pretty well, and that that throw to George Kittle was very very good. It's not the kind of thing that we normally see from Jimmy. And to, man, if Kittle got that foot down, that would have been that would have right. been big time highlight for the season. But defensively, I want to say that. That team is the best defense in the league, at least right now. You always have to be wary of attrition. But, I mean, their big signing in the offseason on the defense at corner has really helped change the dynamic of this team. They can play, I think, more one-on-one when they want to, when they need to. Um, Their linebackers, I said, were the best in the NFL before we even got into the year. We've seen that, I think. 100%. And that defensive line, man, I mean, they have so many guys. They they were kind of the, under Chris Kasurik, they were some of the first to really embrace this idea of super heavy rotation and get this hair-on-fire play for four quarters from all of their guys. I mean, they have made more investments on the defensive line than almost any team. You know, I I mean, even aside from the commanders, I mean, because... They have been rotating through guys since DeForest Buckner, Eric Armstead, Solomon Thomas, Nick Bosa, um, then uh, Javon Kinlaw, and then they've been making other investments even in like the second and third round. They, they drafted a kid from USC this year at the edge, and they get Samson Ebukam. They've got, they had DJ Jones for a while who moved on to free agency. They have just had so many guys on this defensive line, and they play with more energy than I think any other team does and we're starting to see other teams take the same approach so I think they're leading the way as far as that goes and that's kind of the answer to you know the the similar but different answer to these these odd fronts that the teams like the Rams and the uh, Chargers and the uh, the Broncos are playing you know what I mean to it's it allows you to play similar coverage on the back end, but with just a very different energy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If you don't have an Aaron Donald who wrecks you on every single play, it's hard to play that way. And so they've come up with a different answer where we're just going to like, we're going to get guys who can play with the intensity of Aaron Donald. And we're just going to spam them, spam you with them on the, on the defensive line over and over and over all game. So I think, you know, we're seeing a very clear plan offensively and defensively come to fruition. And, Again, the the preparation that they displayed was, you know, it makes them a hard out on any given week, I think. 100%. Another guy I wanted to give a shout out on the defense is, I don't want to butcher his name for all my USC guys, but 
Tyler Noah Hufanga, oh my God. Like they they might have a, a, a Pro Bowl all pro guy back there right now um at safety with him. He he is one of the toughest, uh, hardest hitters, instinctive, smart football players um I've seen come out in a long time. I mean, they struggled with him getting him where they did. Um I know he had some uh some injury stuff at USC and um just a bad situation. You know, USC was in a bad place the last couple of years. They're looking good now, but uh, I also wanted to say that, like, the amount of USC kids that are coming right out of USC and killing it in the NFL right now, you got uh, Hufanga, Armin Ross St. Brown, uh, Drake Jackson's shown some flashes for um, the 49ers as well, Elijah Vera Tucker. I mean, I could keep going on. USC, uh, even Austin Jackson, he struggled a little bit, but he was getting it together before he got hurt um, for the Dolphins. I mean, there's been so many guys that have come right out of USC and succeeded. It's kind of strange to see how, um, you know, bad they've been in the last three or four years with all these guys coming out. So, um, but yeah, I definitely want to give a shout out to Hufanga. He is playing at, I think Richard Sherman tweeted out a, a little um, thread of the place that he was making and saying that he could be an all pro this year. And I think that's a little bit too far, but going projecting towards the future, I think he could be an all pro and he might be a pro bowl level guy this year. So uh, top to bottom, man, they could be as complete of a defense as we've seen in the NFL. In a while, I think the Bucks are right there. They had a, a rough week, but, I mean, it's, it's the Chiefs, man. The Chiefs, uh, they can do that to anybody on any given night. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, happened to be that. Um, it was the Bucks, but the Bucks, you know, had only given up 27 points in three weeks. That's incredible in the NFL. So, I think the Bucks and the uh, – excuse me. The Bucks and the 49ers are the two best defenses right now, in my opinion, and it's neck and neck. But shout-out to those guys, man. A very, very good Monday night football game. Um, Well-coached on one side of, on one team and um I just like what I saw from the 49ers the intensity just the demeanor the way they came out even the way they walk out of the locker room at home they have the little the little boom box and it's like everybody records it and puts it out for their socials and everything and it's like they never go into a game thinking they're going to lose they think they're better than everybody even if it might be a delusional they're not the best team in the NFL to me but what they are is uh a team with a clear identity. And I think that's something that very few NFL teams have. Uh, you know, them, the Packers, the Bucks, um, the Chiefs, teams of that. I think the 49ers are right there. They have a very clear identity. They know who they are. They know what their strengths are. And, and they play to that as far as a, a organization and the coaching staff, um, getting the right players and then putting those players in a position, position to succeed uh, as good as any franchise in the NFL. So big shout out to the 49ers. They've been consistent for a reason, and I'm excited to see where they go from here. Yeah, same here. I, I think, you know, they smelled blood in the water defensively. They were blitzing like crazy. They were, you know, forcing one-on-ones for their tremendous defensive linemen. And I think, like you said, there's a clear identity. They know who they want to be. They know what they're good at, and they execute. And, you know, they, they're they going to be a team to watch. I didn't pick them to win the division. I still think there's a chance the Rams can pull that out but they're gonna have to change if they're that's gonna happen but all right let's move on to your offensive line of the week so i don't know who these are yet i'm I'm getting these raw i know you finished writing about them this morning so who do you have who do you want to shout out this week and i told you we sat down in that room and i said hey you're gonna be the greatest receiver ever do this i told you all of my critics I told you all that I was the greatest of all time. I don't suck compared to you. Like, you, you suck compared to me. Um, So the team that I want to shout out 
and this is from uh, top to bottom. It's my offensive line of the week, but we'll get into it. We'll get into it in a second. But my performance of the week um, comes from the same team as well, and this um, the Los Angeles Chargers. I think what they did responding um, from from the ass kicking they took last week to the Jaguars on their home field, losing Rashawn Slater, uh, an All Pro in my opinion. I think he's the number two left tackle in football behind uh, Trent Richards. Um, excuse me, Trent Williams. So responding the way they did, excuse me, they also have the all-pro center, um, Corey Lindsley out. Like, they've had some very, very serious injuries up front, and they found a way um, to do it against a team in the Texans that isn't a good football team, top to bottom, but what they are is a very good defense. If people have been watching them play this year, um, if you look at the numbers, if you look at the, the talent they have top to bottom, they are a pretty damn good defense, and they've been doing well defensively. Um, so for what for them to do what they did, I mean, let's look at the numbers here. Um, Justin Herbert went 27 of 39 for 340 yards and two touchdowns. Austin Eckler went 13 carries for 60 yards and two touchdowns. I mean, it's efficient. I'll pull up the stats here, but um, and this is per PFF. You know, I'm not the biggest PFF fan in the world, but they get the stats out faster than pretty much anybody. Herbert dropped back 39 times. Matt Feeler gave up two pressures the entire night. Zion Johnson gave up one pressure the entire night. Joshua Kelly gave up one pressure the entire night. Corey Lindsley, in his first game back, gave up zero. Trey Pipkins gave up zero. And my performance of the week, which I can just, I'll just segue and wrap it all together, to rookie Jamari Salyer, which I said, I don't know if you remember, in the pregame stuff, preseason stuff that we did, um, I was so high on this kid, and even in, I have it in my, my offensive line of the uh, preseason offensive line rankings. He was a highlight in there because I believe that much in this kid. Um, I, I said he was going to work his way into the starting lineup, and I didn't think it would be this way. I'm going to be very honest about that. I didn't think it would be because Rashawn Slater was out for the year with a bicep injury. I thought he was just going to work his way uh, in at guard or maybe right tackle uh, based on need, but he did end up working his way there. And boy, did he shine. Zero pressures, zero quarterback hits, zero sacks given up in his first NFL start, replacing an all-pro in Rashawn Slater. It's one thing to just step in, like say he, he goes in and right tackle. Uh, the expectation is so much lower because it was already terrible. He could be just bad, and it's still an upgrade from terrible. Um, and I'm not going to you know name names because I'll never just, just bash people outright, but he could have just had a semi-okay performance, and it'd be like, you know, we're, we're giving him praise because that's how bad they've been a right tackle. But he had to step in for an all-pro, a guy that, that I just said is probably the second-best left tackle in football. And he did not only just survive, he excelled. He exceeded expectations by every possible metric. And it's impressive because he had only been playing guard exclusively all through camp since he got there in May, um, which was a surprise to me. I thought he was a perfect plug-and-play right tackle right away. Um, I know they, uh, coming out, there were some injuries, some medical stuff. I know he had a shoulder. Um, I know some people were concerned with like where he projected as far as having an individual position. He played guard, tackle, a right tackle and left tackle at Georgia. Um, but to me, this is a classic case of NFL GMs and um, front offices overthinking it. The tape was yeah. clear as day. He was dominant at Georgia at three different positions in the SEC. Um, he kind of had his coming out party as far as national attention against Aiden Hutchison, what he did to him in the Orange Bowl. I mean, dominated him from, snap, from snap, start to finish. Um, you know, he had like four or five pancakes on the guy and Aiden Hutchinson went second overall. Um, he also had a little bit of size concerns coming out. The six, four is a lie. 
that they put on the websites. He's probably six two, six two and a half, um, with short arms. And you don't see guys like that on the edge in the NFL, which is why he was kind of projected as a guard. But the tape is the tape. You know, the ability is the ability. He is an animal. Like he wins, wins, wins. And especially in uh, the run game, I think he's going to show uh, he's even better. They didn't run the ball a ton, uh, but when they did, he was very good getting up to the second level. Um, he was very good on his matchup individually. He, he he doesn't get beat very often wherever he is. So for him to step in and do that, uh, he gets my performance of the week easily. This wasn't even a discussion because the amount of expectation that was placed on him, unfairly in my opinion, um, replacing a guy like Rashawn Slater, and for him to not only just meet it but surpass it, pass it with flying colors is incredible. Um, and one last thing before I pass it back to you. I'm giving him his just due because I was very high on the kid and kind of makes me look good, right? I also believed in him that much um, just because I believed in the tape. But what I don't want, and I'm seeing it from so many media outlets, and this is what I would never do. I'm never going to hype the kid up past the point of no return. He played against the Texans, a very solid team, but he's going to go against much tougher matchups. He hasn't seen a Miles Garrett yet. He hasn't seen a Nick Bosa yet. He hasn't seen, you know, a TJ Watt yet. What I want to do is be very, very responsible with our platform. He had a great performance this week. That's why he gets the NFL performance of the week this week. He is still a young guy. He is still figuring it out. He's probably not a career left tackle. I think he's going to bump over the right tackle when Rashawn gets back, and they'll have bookends, maybe the best tackle duo in the NFL, um, hopefully. But like I said, yeah, I don't want to be irresponsible and guarantee he's going to be the next um, Trent Williams. Like, that's irresponsible. And a lot of people are saying, oh, my God, he's how could this guy fall this low? And, you know, I was one of the people that were like, you know, he shouldn't have fallen this low. It's, it's a steal to get this guy in the draft. Um, but you can't make the expectation so high that the first time the kid gets beat for a sack, which is going to happen because it happens to everyone, or the first time he gets, you know, beat on a, a run block and somebody, uh, you know, locks and sh- uh, sheds him and there's a tackle for loss, everybody's like, oh, this kid sucks. This kid sucks. Like, I will never build a guy up that high, at least to this one. We can talk about Trent Richardson like that because he's done it for how many years? We can talk about Zach Martin like that because he's done it for how many years? But what I don't want to see, and I'm already seeing a ton of it, is just people building him up, building him up, building him up. What happens when Miles Garrett beats him for a sack? You know, or Mike, he plays Michael Parsons, and Michael Parsons beats him on an inside move, and it's not even close, and he looks bad because it's going to happen. Um, I hope people temper their expectations. Appreciate this performance for what it was, but give him room to grow and uh, develop into the player that I think that he can be and what he showed that he could be in one game. But let's, you know, let's be realistic here. There's going to be a learning curve. There's going to be a process, a change in, um, of the guard here. We need to give him chan- the chance to really grow and develop. So that was my last point I wanted to make. But my offensive line of the week and performance of the week, Los Angeles Chargers, Jamari Salyer, very, very excited about it. Well, I mean, first of all, Jonathan Grenard is a good pass rusher. Probably right. probably undersold just because of how the Texans have performed the past couple of years, everything that's gone on with them. I think people are not aware of what he can do. But at the same time, you're absolutely right. He is not Miles Garrett. He's not TJ Watt. The bright side for Sawyer is that he now gets to go up against Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa in practice. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So... He's, he's getting looks from some of the best to do it. Um, we'll see how, how 
it goes over the rest of the year. I mean, the Chargers playoff hopes are very, very much alive. I think, you know, probably at this point, they wouldn't be the favorite to win the AFC West, but I think that they're still a more likely than not playoff uh, team. But it's going to, it's going to depend on how he continues to do on that left side before the draft. I saw grades on that guy that spanned pretty much anywhere from late first round all the way through fourth round. I didn't see that I remember anywhere projecting him to be a sixth round pick. So I think really any way you spin it, getting him in the sixth round was uh, a big time win for them. But, uh, you know, they've also had success with guys with with shorter arms at the tackle position. I mean, case in point, Rayshon Slater. I mean, I think that was the only knock on him coming out as to why some people thought that he should be a guard versus a tackle. But you saw that not really mattering. I mean, he had a, a, a an incredible game against an all-time athlete like Chase Young when he was in college. And I think people looked at that, certainly at least on the Chargers staff, and said, look, we've seen it. We've seen him play against guys with tremendous length and we're not concerned about it. So maybe that made them more comfortable, um, giving him the shot at, at left tackle to start this game. Real quick, I just want to shout out another... Uh, <laughs> Another left tackle performance this week. Did you see that Elijah Vera Tucker was playing left tackle for the Jets this past week? Yeah, I saw it. I'm in uh my USC guys. We talk, you know, very often. And um, I shout out to my boy Trevor Trout. Uh, congratulations on the new clutch sports job, by the way. But he talks about every day, oh, I play with a future Hall of Famer. He's going to be a future Hall of Famer. He's this, this, this. And I'm like, come on, bro. Like, relax. Like, he's good and everything. But relax. However... He's turning into a damn good football player. I will say from where he was when he first took snaps for the Jets to where he is now, the ability to play left tackle. I mean, he's played uh, right guard. I mean, like he it, it's very, very impressive. I have to take my hat off to him. He is displaying a rare talent right now, a rare um, ability to play multiple positions in the NFL. You don't see it. It just doesn't happen across the offensive line. Um, kudos to him. A very good game from him. and. Now it's like, where do you go from here? Do you leave him there? Or are you going to – you pay Dwayne Brown how much guaranteed? Wasn't it like 10 or $20 million guaranteed, I think it was? like. Uh, I believe that it's not quite so high. I think some of the numbers on that were mildly misrepresented. But basically, I think the Jets can get out of the contract this year or the, like at the end of this year, and okay. they have some dead money. But I don't think it's – I don't – I don't think that ah, contracts is, is another another conversation. Right, right, right. It's it's dead money, but it's dead money that was already paid to him. It's just prorated. So they right. have him under contract for this year if they want to. They will have to take a bit of a dead money hit if they release him. But the Jets will have plenty of cap room, and it's not like they've locked themselves into him. I'm just going to pull right. up his his deal here real quick just to make sure that I'm I'm on point with that. But um. I think when you, when he comes back, you got a guy that could be a left tackle, maybe, but I think you still want to have him at the position that you feel that he has the ability to be an all pro at. You know, he's young, and we haven't I haven't seen him play like an all pro, but I I think that's the kind of player you're hoping for from him, especially right. how highly you drafted him. So I, I would imagine you want to put him back at guard. He he opens up that offense. You know what I mean? You can pull him all over the place. They, The Jets offensive line, man, that 
that could be a podcast in itself because they're loaded. I'll say I, that they got they got a lot of talent. They got talent, and they, none of it's healthy. I mean, they, Mackay Becton out for the year before training camp even started. Um, mm-hmm. They then they signed Dwayne Brown, and he gets hurt before the season starts. He might be back this week. He might be back next week. Regardless, you still don't totally know what you have in him because you know he he wasn't with you all summer. Right. Uh, then you've got George Fant, who's a guy who you know started off as an undrafted free agent after playing tight end in college, kind of worked himself worked his way into becoming a, a legitimate starting offensive lineman in the NFL, and now he's hurt. And so I don't know. He's on IR. I don't know when he'll be back. Their fourth round rookie out of Louisiana, Max Mitchell, has been surprisingly good at right tackle. He goes down with a dislocated kneecap, so he's going to be out for probably at least four weeks. Um, so you're down your top four tackles. Now you've got your 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 second year guard playing left tackle. You're trying to figure out what you're going to do at the right tackle position. So I think before you start having the conversation about whether you keep Elijah Vera Tucker at left tackle long term, you just got to figure out five starters to get by week to week at this point. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting that nobody's uh, signed Eric Fisher to me. It's with with the need at at tackle across the NFL, and I know cap space is you know it's not my forte. I don't really care about it, so I'm going to like leave that stuff to you. Um, maybe it's a cap issue because he's not going to play for cheap. I'm thinking that's the issue. But the fact that nobody's reached out to him, he's not great. He's not Trent Williams, right? But he is definitely better than most of the right tackles playing in the NFL today. Like he could do a very serviceable job, and he could be a a segue until you can you know address it in the draft or free agency. So. Interesting that most that more teams haven't reached out to that guy, but like I said, I'm thinking that it's probably a price issue, not a a want or an availability issue. I don't know, man. I think I think the way that tackle has has shaken out for some of these teams, if it was a price issue, they would overcome it. I mean, the Jets were willing. Look, it's it's the Dwayne Brown contract. It's basically. 10 million a year, but he also has a million dollars each year in per game roster bonuses, which means, you know, obviously he's not earning a full million per year. I mean, I think if I think if you thought Eric Fisher still had it, you'd shell out 10 million per year. And I think as a vet, I know that you don't want to, you know, it it can be tough to take less than what you took at your prime, but I still think that if you're a vet in your 30s playing tackle, you take ten million a year if you're on on the street right now, right? So I, yeah, I think there are yeah. teams who could afford it. I just I, I don't think he played that well down the stretch with the Colts last year. Interesting topic. I, I tell you what, he'd be starting on the Dolphins right now, no question about that. <laughs> you know, I'm a Dolphins fan. I watch those guys, and and like I said, I'm not going to name names, but you know, the right tackle hasn't been very good for the last five years, um, and I, he he he. Struggled a little bit, but he's damn sure better than those guys. And um, I can name a couple other teams that he could, you know, start for today. Uh, so whether it's just that they're investing in the young talent and they want to see the young talent grow um, and, you know, or they've already paid another vet uh, guy to come in there and do the thing. Uh, like you said, it could be just because teams are off them. That could be very well be the case. But um, he ain't any worse than a lot of these guys that are playing right now. I'll tell you that. So uh, it'd be interesting to see how that plays out. It's probably better than the current Colts left tackle position right now. Yeah. I do have something I do want to talk about because we haven't covered that. Um, 
We okay, kind of yeah. sat here. And, we kind of sat here and talked about it. Uh, we kind. It was the last thing we talked about last week. Got off into like a twenty minute combo about it, mm-hmm. and it was about Tua and his head injury and the way that was mm-hmm. handled. And worst case scenario happened Thursday night. Absolute worst case scenario. Number one for Tua. Let's let's put him first because this is what's kind of pissing me off about the whole situation. He's the one that's getting lost in the conversation. Mm-hmm. Everybody's talking about the NFL, the NFLPA, uh, who was responsible for the Dolphins. And nobody's talking about the guy potentially ruining not just his his football career, right, but his long-term everyday health could be at jeopardy here. We don't know. Everybody's like, oh, he cleared protocol. The MRI came. No, like, come on. Like, as somebody who's been in those positions, one, I can tell you they're all full of you-know-what. They're lying. Mm -hmm. Um, Number two, the protocol is a joke, which is why I don't know if you saw but. The NFLPA and the NFL came to an agreement faster than I've ever seen them work together to clear this <laughs> yeah. because, because that one number one that lets you know that it is much worse than they let on. That's number one. Number two, the Dolphins PR team has to be like kicking Mike McDonald Mike McDaniel in the head. Like, what the hell was he thinking? The guy who just probably had suffered a, a serious concussion gets on the press conference the next day and says that. Oh, yeah. You know, if you know anything about concussions, you should avoid light. You should avoid noises. You should avoid uh, talking. You should avoid being around people. He was like, oh, we sat together on the plane and talked and laughed and watched uh, Bonanza or whatever it was for three hours. And I'm like, so the guy that's concussed. Head and neck injury protocol, all this stuff is in the changing air pressure on an airplane, staring at a screen for three hours. That is probably like the absolute worst thing you could do for a guy that's concussed. And then not only, and that's fine, right? It could have happened, but you don't tell people that it happened. Like that's just like one on one, like terrible, terrible PR for McDaniel. And I understand his position because everybody's unfairly dumping on him, in my opinion. As a football coach, one, he's going to listen to the doctors. He's going to obviously want his guy to play. That's obvious. We don't have to beat around the bush there. But Mike McDaniel's not a head and neck specialist. He's not a private console. He's not the protocol. He's there's so many people above him, and there's so many steps before you ever get to Mike McDaniel um, for him to be the face of it, in my opinion. And I think he's kind of had to bite that, but that's also the responsibility you get as a head coach. I do want to acknowledge that. However, there's just so much stuff to get through here. Like, the protocol is a joke. He should have never gone back into the Buffalo Bills game, but he did. They won. You know, as a Dolphins fan, I was happy, but as a human being, I was like, Dude, we all saw it. Come on, you're back. And they're not everybody's like, uh, right? Like, but guys have back the back lock up. They don't stumble around like that. They don't get up, walk a couple steps, and then stumble around and fall like that and get up woozy. Like, everybody's talking about the phrase gross motor function now, right? But like, that's clear as day, man. Like, you don't do that. And then for him to come back and, and play in that game and in 96 hours, like it's a Thursday night game. If it was a Saturday night game, you might have gotten a little bit more uh, leeway. But the turnaround so fast and come back and play, and then that for that to happen, to see his hands lock up like that. And shame on Amazon for, you know, showing the shot like eight times. Like that was just terrible. Like they kept going back to the shot. I didn't have any respect for that. But to see that, and people were like, why the T. Higgins had, had a pretty big hit in the Jets game. He, he ended up going out of that game. Uh, I know you're a Jets guy. Um, but one, he didn't come, they didn't allow him to come back in the game. And two, he had to go through protocols. We saw what happened to him. We saw him come back in the game. And then we saw him, you know, three days later, laid out with his hands locked up, 
with his body seized up and get carted off the field. It's different when you have to see it and look at it. And I think that's what people need to understand here. They're like, why don't you make a big deal out of everybody that gets concussion? One, they're not the quarterback of the, the hottest team in the NFL. Two, they're not playing in primetime on, on, on Thursday night. And, and three, you don't see most of these guys laid out like that. When you see it, it hits home different, especially after the guy just had a situation five, uh, three days earlier. Um, it is irrational to ask people to treat this situation the same way they treat every, every other situation. Even if it's whether it's right or wrong, I don't care. When you see a guy like that, especially a guy that's as beloved as Tua, everybody has their opinion of him as a football player, but everybody likes the guy. Everybody says he's a great guy to be around, all that good stuff. Um, it just was handled so poorly from top to bottom. And the the speed at which they're trying to rectify this situation lets me know how bad uh, it actually is behind the scenes. And I have, you know, some stuff I can't speak on it out of respect for those people, but uh, the word is that Tua isn't doing great at the moment. He's having uh, issues as you would expect because that's what happens when you take, you know, two severe, you know, injuries back to back that fast. Uh, and, and that he could be out for a month is what I'm hearing, um, somewhere close to that. And I think that that's the best thing, regardless if he's feeling good or not. I don't think he should play football for a while. Simple as that. Um, I, I tweeted it out when he first got hurt um, against, you know, the Bengals that second time. I was like, football should be the last thing on his mind. It should be the last thing on the Dolphins' mind. It should be the last thing on the NFL's mind or the PA. That shouldn't come up. His uh, day-to-day health, his um, – having his faculties and everything about him should be the number one concern. And I hope just for him individually, before we get to the bigger subject of NFL PA and the NFL, their battle, I hope for him that is the case here and that people are protecting him because they haven't been protecting him up until this point. Yeah. I, I think, look, I, before we get, like you said, to, to the discussion between all the powers that be, I am not a person who jumps on storylines and just hammers them just because I thought it was a massive mistake to put him back in the game against the bills. Right. Right. I talked about it. I talked about it on the, the show with you. I talked about it in the show with uh, Kyle Trimble, who's the doctor of physical therapy that comes on every Wednesday. Uh, I asked him whether he thought a back lockup was even remotely reasonable. And he said, didn't want to absolutely rule it out just because doctors don't do that. But he said, no, he doesn't think so. I talked about it with Nico Del Frate, who came on to preview the Dolphins game. I brought it up over and over because I just thought it was a, it was a gross mishandling of, of human well-being. You know what I mean? And when you talk about other guys getting injured due to concussion in other games, we know it happens. I think even this year, I felt like there was a, a noticeable increase in players that I thought would be ruled out that ended up coming back in. The major difference with this, even leading up to that Thursday night game, were two things. One, they put him back in the game so quickly after an obvious like, neurological error that made him essentially fall down in the game. So it was just, it was so, so blatantly obvious. The other thing, is that it was such a short week. It was not a full week. It was only a few days. There was not really any real opportunity for them to do a proper evaluation for any late onset symptoms. So, I mean, it, it bothered me because I was genuinely afraid of something bad happening. 
I am right. not a I'm not a, a hot take monger. It's not what I do. It's never been what I do. I really try to stick to football for the most part, you know. But I just I was genuinely worried about what might happen to him, and I'm, I I hate. I hate that I was proven right in this situation because when he was taken down on that hit, my stomach turned instantly, like literally instantly. Because before we even saw the hands lock up, before they zoomed in on that, I saw the force with which he was thrown to the turf. And like, I think before I was even aware of it, I just knew something bad had just happened. And, right. and I, I don't want to dwell on it anymore for him. 100% best wishes for a full recovery for him. He should not be playing football anytime soon. I think the fact that the Dolphins didn't announce that, like, uh, the day after the game was kind of dumb. I mean, like, why? Yeah. W- what are we doing waiting till the end of the week, th- till the weekend's over to formally announce he's not playing? Like, Because they were trying to get him to play. They were hoping that he would feel insanity. better. He, 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 another thing is, like, disgusting. I, I would, yeah, like, you know, I've seen it in college. Um, I've had teammates that had it done myself. When a guy gets carted off like that and he has to get evaluated for head and neck injuries and um, do, do stuff like that, good, bad, or indifferent, they normally keep him overnight as a precaution. It's just a smart thing to do. It's what you should do. Um, not only did they not keep him overnight in Cincinnati, they let him fly back. And then they said that he got an MRI when he got to Miami. How do you take him to a level one trauma center? Um, money is not an object here. Let's just throw that out of the way. Like we know money is not an object for the NFL and get him evaluated for head and neck injuries and don't give him an MRI at the facility right away. I mean, what if he had had like a series? I know they, they may have done a CT. I haven't seen any uh, conflicting reports of that, but you do a CT a MRI, you do a full workup on that guy before you let him out of that hospital. So to find out that they, one, did keep him overnight, and like I said, even if he was fine, you do that for optic. You do that for the people that are concerned for his health. You do that for the people that are concerned about his well-being. And you do that as just uh, the, the normal human thing to do. I see it all the time in college. I see it all the time in the NFL. It's interesting to see that he wasn't kept overnight, one. Um, and two, that he didn't get a full medical workup there. A full medical workup includes an MRI. So the fact that he got an MRI Friday afternoon was just a little disappointing, not a little, a lot disappointing to me um, because you should take care of those guys. And and two, I think what the NFL thought was that, oh, we're going to clear him and send him all home on the plane is that, oh, people are going to be like, oh, he's doing well. He's, he's fine. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that's stupid. This is 2022. People yeah. aren't dumb anymore. Twitter exists. Instagram exists. Like, People are going to talk about it. People are going to ask physicians. People are going to have their own opinion about it. So the worst thing that you could do is try to treat the general public as if they're idiots. Even if they are, like, they're going <laughs> to ask questions. It's like, that's the worst thing that you could do PR-wise. Nobody's going to be like, oh, two is fine. We just saw his mm-hmm. hands seized up. We saw his body locked up. We saw him stumble across the field um, four days earlier, as you said. It's like, especially for that guy in that situation, Sending him home on that plane, acting like everything is gravy, is like the worst thing you could have done. Like it's just terrible PR from that standpoint. And above all that, like I said, for his health, like I said it earlier, but come on, like the guy who has uh, head and neck injuries is going to be staring at the TV screen and on the on a uh, on a plane where cabin pressure and air pressure and inflammation. If you know anything about planes, it's like 
people have severe inflammations on planes doing due to the the cabin pressure and the changing of the pressure. Mm-hmm. That's like the worst thing you could have done for the guy in that situation. Even if he was feeling good, even if he did clear protocols, like you do the human thing. But like I said, I don't want to harp on it too much, but I, we had to talk about that because um, that was a big issue. And it's going to be a big topic going forward because, or maybe it won't because the NFLPA and the NFL have worked together so fast on the situation. Um, it's made my head spin because being around and, and you knowing some guys on the uh, on the PA and like how it runs, I don't want to you know single them out, but it's all it almost feels like they're leveraging Tua's injury for the greater good of the rest of the NFL. Like so, they did enhance concussion protocol. They did um, you know make some changes to the way things are handled. They did fire the the private consultant that made because you know let's be very honest here there's no such thing as a third-party consultant when it comes to the nfl this guy's <laughs> yeah. the nfl yeah. or, come on yeah. like, stop insulting our intelligence here but um you know they have made very fast and swift changes here but it also also feels like this is going to go away very very fast and i think that's one thing that i don't want to happen i think that the pa is using this as a chance to leverage tua individually for quote-unquote the greater good of the rest of the guys. And to me, that's not fair to Tua individually because he is a part of that. So if you wipe this under the rug for him to get something for everybody else, it's so hard to say because there there are other guys that are going to benefit from these decisions happening so swiftly, right? Like this weekend, we saw guys, when guys went out, they didn't come back in. There's no way people were taking chances with that. Um, Mm -hmm. Even guys I noticed this too, we were talking about it, um, Mike Evans Sunday night, which I do want to talk about the game quickly before we close out. But he got knocked down. He got the uh, they got the unnecessary roughness hit on him in the end zone. He popped his ass up quick because he was not taking on any chance any chance on being evaluated or having guys come yeah. out. Like I noticed guys popping up faster, not laying down as much as hits because they are aware that if I have to get evaluated for anything head or neck or of that ilk, I'm not coming back in this game. So I think you are seeing already positive benefits from it. But I hope that Tua gets taken care of. I hope that his well-being is put first. And I hope that the PA doesn't just um, acquiesce so quick. People should be be held accountable. And you should be able to make the game better for the people um, and the current players and the people to come. You can do both. And I hope they do both instead of just um, letting the NFL get a slap on the wrist here and Tua's situation kind of going under the radar. I think there's something that we have to, to realize that this is going to be an ongoing situation. And I know you're concerned about it being being moved on from quickly. I think as long as Tua is not playing, that won't be the case. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be in the public sphere for as long as he is ruled out as a result of this. Because Miami Dolphins were a clear contender with him in there. So if they play the Jets in New York this or in Jersey this week with Teddy Bridgewater... And they don't, if they end up losing that game, that is going to be talked about constantly. If he's out for the week after that, it's going to be talked about constantly. If he has, you know, if he comes back and he's not playing well, then it's going to be talked about as a result of that. So I think, I think as of right now, I wouldn't worry about it disappearing too quickly. And I think, you know, I think the Players Association, if they do this right, which, you know, the expectation of that, that's whatever. But if they do this right, they absolutely can both improve the safety for players right now and also use this for a number of things in the future. Because the NFL has made such an effort 
to publicize their intent to improve player safety over the past few years mm -hmm. that literally anytime it's brought up anytime like any press conference where anybody says anything about NFL player safety being a problem they they pretty much have to go into into uh you know cleanup mode like they have to just deal with it over and over and over and over again so they are going to have to start acquiescing to a number of different things if they don't want this thrown in their face over and over in high profile situations so i hear you but i think if if there is if this is handled even remotely in the correct way by the players association this is this is a major leverage point over the nfl both now and going forward and i think we just got to see what happens with Tua. We need to see if they do it right, if they try and rush him back, if if he's okay. You know, I you have to assume at this point that the NFL is telling the Dolphins don't even think about putting him back in for a while. Like I, they must, they have to, because it, they are they have an investment in this now. It's not just the Dolphins who you know have basically destroyed most of their credibility over the past you know two seasons. So. Oh, well, despite just got to update, Max. Breaking news. What? I don't know if it's what? that important, but it seems to be pretty important. Uh, Tom Brady and Giselle have announced uh, they've hired divorce lawyers and are, are going to be parting ways. So that's actually pretty significant you know, news as far as um, the NFL goes. How, how will that affect or how has it been affecting the Buccaneers and Tom? And it makes more sense with all the time that he's been taking off and um, the extra uh, the day off that he was getting, you know, he's off on Wednesdays, which is like nobody gets that, but but Tom mm -hmm. Brady does. I mean, and he's been playing very well. I don't people have been giving him a hard time, but like if you're watching the game, like Tom has been playing exceptionally well for what they have. I mean, they're playing with a literal. Um, before this past week, they had four guys that are playing their first, you know, step of football for the Buccaneers at offensive mm -hmm. line. They were without Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, and Julio Jones. I mean. There's still camera breaks out now with the concussion. Like, um, for them to be so shorthanded offensively, and for them to be sitting at two and two and have uh, played the way they have and had a chance to win pretty much every ball game has been extremely impressive to me. And Tom specifically has been playing very well. But uh, that is actually significant NFL news. So how would that affect them, or how has it been affecting them? And where do you go from here if you're Tom? So pretty big news there. Yeah, well, that was definitely heavily speculated, and I kind of thought that's what it was. I, I didn't want to just sit there and speculate on somebody's personal life uh, on the show, but right. I had a feeling. I mean, look, I don't think for anybody who's married out there or in a long-term relationship, especially with kids, the way that this <laughs> offseason went, yeah, I mean, it, the way this offseason went, you knew that there was some issues. Either A, he came back to play because of that, or they stemmed directly from him doing that. One of those two things happened because you don't say, I want to spend more time with my family. That's why I'm retiring from the NFL. And then immediately go back and then immediately sign a multi-year deal to, to be a broadcaster, which basically is going to keep you away from yeah. your family at, at almost the same schedule as an NFL player, if not even more at times. So, I mean, I think the writing was on the wall either a because of those decisions or or those decisions were a result of the issues at home so i won't dwell on it from a personal standpoint any more than that other than to say that it was pretty clear for the bucks yeah i mean i wonder if if the wednesday the wednesday uh 
absences are going to end now or if, or what or if that's when he's going to see the lawyers or or what i don't know if he was trying to use that as a as an opportunity to be home more you know what i mean to try and salvage the situation or well or yeah knows, so the but... thing that i'll be interested to see is how you know because you know like i said i'm not i don't have uh, kids yet but the kids are what i think would be the main focus for tom going forward him and giselle are their thing and it, i hate to just say this but like they're at a level of stardom and like wealth that day-to-day life should not be an issue for them ever. So he should be focusing on the kids. So maybe he takes that Wednesday to still be around the kids and go do stuff mm-hmm. with the kids. Um, mm-hmm. The relationship, you know, as far as his spouse may be uh, past the point of return and maybe unsalvageable, but I would still think that, you know, he would be getting the day with his kids and, and, and still trying to invest in them and, because his kids aren't young anymore. They're coming to, you know, they're in their teens now. Like <laughs> he's, he, this is the prime year that you want to be around for. Um, so I think that Tom will still be involved there, but it, it's like I said, you don't want to speculate about people's personal life. Um, it's still very, very interesting to see how this stuff will be handled going forward because this doesn't just affect Tom. This affects the team. This affects the NFL. This is world news. This isn't, is this funny because it's like, People get divorced in the NFL every day, probably. We don't care. But it's Tom Brady, the, the greatest of all time, one of the most recognizable people on planet Earth, and he happens to be married to a supermodel that's worth a billion dollars. Like, it, it, this is world news. So it's going to make waves and affect a lot of people. So I'm interested to see where it goes. But before we close out, I do want to kind of quickly talk about that game, uh, mm-hmm. Chiefs and Bucks. Can we just give Eric Bieniemy and Andy Reid their credit for the psychopaths that they are? <laughs> They like I was watching that game. I've, I've said it. I feel like I say this every week. I mean, they had a rough week against the the Colts, but it wasn't because of play calling. Travis Kelsey dropped a touchdown that would have put them up in thirty. Special teams, man. Special yeah. teams killed them in that game. Right. My God, like the creativity, um, the multiple formations, the motion, the different looks, the different players. I mean, the way that they use their assets to their best ability is second to none in the NFL. Like, the, the same amount of credit that I gave um, the 49ers defense for having an identity, um, top to bottom, putting their guys in a uh, position to succeed and being successful, the same way I gave uh, Kyle Shanahan um, credit for putting Debo, Kyle Juszczyk, um, George Kittle, using those guys for what they're great at and moving them around and putting them in a, a position to be not only successful individually, but to complement the other guys on the team is – Take them to another level with Eric and Andy, in my opinion. Like, people want to talk about Patrick Mahomes, and rightfully so. He made some cool plays, right? Only plays that only he could probably make. But that's about three plays. He was probably the fourth most impressive thing about that game to me on the offense. Number one, Travis Kelsey is the biggest mismatch in the NFL, and it's not a debate, it's not a discussion. Trav, what, the stress that he creates on defenses, um, his ability to just find the soft spot in zones, just sit it down and have that. It's almost unconscious. He just has it. Like it's hard to explain, but the way he finds and creates space is second to none, regardless of tight end or uh, wide receiver. Um, he understands just spacing and timing better than anybody I've seen in a long time. Um, Eric and Andy, number two, calling plays. Like I said, putting guys in the position to be successful and the time we play calling. It's okay to have great plays in your playbook, right? But like, if you're not calling them at the right time, um, against the right looks, it doesn't matter. 
Their third down play calling is the best I've ever seen. The red zone play calling is the best that I've ever seen. Like, mind-blowingly good. Third, the offensive line. Like I said, the Bucs had only given up three points, excuse me, 27 points in three games coming into that game. The way that they played against that Bucks front, which is extremely formidable, not just the, the D lineman, but the front seven, the Devin White, Levante David, those guys blitzing and the stuff that they do, um, the multiple looks that they can give you. That offensive line, the way they retorted, I said it before the season, but it is probably the greatest feat I've ever seen from a front office in my time watching the NFL football. It is absolutely insane to go from what they put on the field in the Super Bowl two years ago to having Orlando Brown Jr., Joe Thune, Creed Humphrey, Trey Smith, and Andrew Wilder. Sorry. You have four pro bowlers, maybe three. Pro- you might have those three in the middle very well could all be all pros this year. And it's not a slight. Orlando Brown Jr. can make another pro bowl at left tackle. Wiley's probably not going to get those just because of his name and the rest of the guys online. But that offense line is insane. Those three things were more impressive than Patrick Mahomes to me. And that's crazy to say with how well Patrick Mahomes played. But it's like the it's the God honest truth. Like the plays that they were able to make, it, I just I was just blown away. And I do want to give a quick shout out to Tom though. The way Tom played was exceptional <laughs> to me. Like all people want to talk about is Patrick Mahomes, cool, he can do the underhand stuff. Go watch. I want people to go back and watch that game. Everybody has NFL Plus now. Everybody has access to all 22. Go watch the throws that this dude is making at 45 years old. Go watch the timing and the rhythm that he has at 45 years old. It is unlike anything I've ever seen before. Uh, go watch Mike Evans, what he did. That He put on a master class. Like, go watch uh, even Cameron Brayton, those guys that are finding space. They are starting to figure it out on offense for the Bucs. Uh, I do, however, want Byron Leftwich to make a concerted effort to get the run game going more. I know people were saying, oh, they were down, but I don't care about that. There was, they were down 21-10 with the ball with five minutes left to go in the half. They didn't, attempt to, they didn't attempt to run the ball. They dropped back on first and 10, play action, got a sack straight. If they run the ball there, get three yards, keep a drive going, extend the play. Even if you only get a field goal out of that and you go into halftime, 21-13, much different ball game. Um, in the second half, there was 10 minutes left in the third, 31-17, five straight passes, and they don't attempt to run the ball. There's plenty of time left in the game, fellas. Like, if they run the ball, run the rock, get it established, and score a touchdown or even score a field goal, you have a seven-point game or an 11-point game with a quarter and a half of football left to play, and it's a much different ball game. Um, so I do want them to try to get the run established more, especially with how good Leonard Fournette has looked. Three carries is unacceptable. Like, you have to try, even if you're down. I don't care. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, and Travis Kelsey, Eric and Andy, they can't screw you if they're on the sideline. So it would be best for you to keep drives going and to keep them off the field. Um, but other than that, that's all I want to say about that game. But I had to acknowledge that because as, as good as Patrick Mahomes was, the rest of those guys need to be getting their credit. And as bad as the Bucks have looked, Brady going 39 for 52, asking a 45-year-old to throw 52 times is insane, by the way. Um, but going 39 yeah. for 52 for 385 and three touchdowns is incredible. So I wanted to give Tom Brady his shine, too, because people need to get off his back. He's played exceptionally well. Um, did you have any thoughts about that game? Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, I never – I don't want to say I was not a believer in the Chargers. It was not about them. The fact that people were choosing them to win the division over the Kansas City Chiefs always seemed ridiculous to me because you have – Offensive infrastructure headed up by Andy Reid. You have an all-time quarterback in his prime. 
You have an elite offensive line. And he still has his number one receiver, who always was, always has been, Travis Kelsey. Mm-hmm. And I, what? where did you think things were going to change because they didn't have Tyreek Hill anymore? Yes, he's a very good weapon. He's done a lot of damage in Miami. Teams had already been running two high shells for an entire season on the Chiefs and limited the, the season-long effectiveness of Tyreek Hill. Yeah, he can still gash you for one play here and there no doubt but the teams had already adjusted to that and they needed to be able to run the ball and play underneath more to take advantage of that so that's what they did this offseason i just i don't understand where the lack of confidence came from when all they've done is show you that they can handle whatever is thrown their way i mean you have everything you need from an offense i I, it just it it blew my mind that people were so ready to dismiss them. I guess people are just ready for the next big thing. I don't know, you know. I mean, I, di- I didn't buy into the Broncos hype. I, I didn't buy into the Raiders hype. I I always thought it was going to be the Chiefs. Like, you have to. You would have to prove that to me more than once before I start picking against them to win a division. And, like, so, so you know, aside from getting directly into the game, which, you know, we talked about a little bit before, and I think you did a really nice job covering, I, I just... It, the Chiefs are back, man. Back, and I say back, but they were never gone. You know what I, I was mean? Say that. Like, <laughs> I, like you said, people are so, and, and I think the same thing is uh, very apparent in the NFC. People are so ready to crown the Eagles. People are so ready to crown, you know, some of these other teams. At the end of the day, and I pick, you know, I pick the Chiefs to win the division. I pick the Chiefs to go to the Super Bowl because that's what they've done the last four seasons. They've gone to four straight AFC championships, and the team is more or less still intact. Um, Tyreek is insane right let's not make any you know if ands or buts about it he's insane but they were successful before Tyree Alex Smith was winning 12 games a year with this team 11 games a year with this team um and I don't want to say that like Alex Smith's not a good good quarterback he was a very good NFL quarterback maybe never elite but he was very good um but this team has been successful for a decade now this is what they are this is who they are um and as long as Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey in in my opinion, they're the I don't want to give them. The, I think the Browns are the best right now, uh, but the Chiefs O line is probably number two to me. It's probably Browns, Chiefs, Eagles for me right now, as far as best all O lines in football. And I would say the team has actually gotten better from last year. Like they were one half of dumb football away from another Super Bowl against the Bengals, right? And just played mm-hmm. terrible football all the way around, both sides of the ball, special teams all around, right? But I think the roster top to bottom is much better than it was last year. They went out and got a Justin Reed for the defense. Um, you went out and got a Carlos Dunlap to, to rush opposite Frank Clark and those guys. I mean, they have retooled the team and kind of filled needs better than anybody in the NFL. Uh, Juju has played very, very well. We got to give Juju mm-hmm. some love. Uh, I NBA, love him playing as a blocker, too. Like, I love what he brings man, to the table across the board. Man, awesome. They're, they're, he's low-key playing tight end like half the game. Like, <laughs> yeah. but seriously, like they're, they're getting there. He's chipping, he's getting in um, a lot of quick crossing stuff. They're using him like a tight end, essentially on short yardage situations. I've been noticing that on third down, Juju's becoming one of the go-to guys uh, other than Travis Kelsey. They're finding ways to get Juju open. He was very, I think he saw two or three third downs where they schemed him open. Um, Scott Moore is starting to slowly get more involved. But you figure as the season goes on, he's too explosive for them not to find a way to get him the ball. 
Um, MBS still has some drop issues. He had two pretty bad drops, but he was wide the hell open. Like they're getting him open and he's open. He just got to catch the ball. So, um, and I do think I want to give a shout out to, to Clyde Edwards Elaire. He has been very heavily criticized and I won't argue with anybody because he either looks like a God or he looks terrible. There's no in between with him. Very little <laughs> consistency, but we got a God level game. He played very, very well, um, Sunday. And like you said, people are so ready to just crown the next big thing, man. Like on paper, the Browns should have gone to the Super Bowl last year. Um, on paper, the Chargers are a Super Bowl team. Like, but it's on paper. You have to go with what happens. Like, and people are so quick to like crap on the Cowboys to me. But like, the Cowboys have been very consistent over the last eight years. They're gonna get to the playoffs. They're gonna be a a ten, eleven win team, and you can trust on that. Like, because that's what they have displayed and demonstrated that they're gonna be. Now, being a legit contender, that's one thing. But I think there's a few teams over the NFL that have just showed this is who they are. The Green Bay Packers, they don't look very good. What is their record right now? They're three and one because they just yep. they're gonna find a way to win <laughs> football games because that's yep. what they do. They have an identity. They have one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Matt LaFleur is, in my opinion, right now. And you know what? You could argue that he's above Eric and Andy right now. He might be the best play caller in football right now. What he's doing right now with that limited uh, with those limited options. At the skill groups, it's insane. They have a very good offensive line, two very good running backs, and the GOAT uh, or GOAT adjacent quarterback. Like, he is top three all time. No, no doubt about it, in my opinion. So, he does have stuff to work with, but the skill group is arguably one of the bottom tier skill groups in the league. What he's doing right now is insane. Between him, mm-hmm. Shanahan, and Eric and Andy, they're probably the three best play callers right now in football. Yeah, so, same thing. I'm not picking against the Packers to win the division. I'm not picking no. against the Chiefs to win the division. Like what? I'm not picking against what, the Bucks. What are we doing here? If the Bucks have to go to Philly and play a, in the second round of the playoffs, there's no way I'm picking against Tom Brady. And if they're if they're healthy and whole, that defense to not go up there and handle business. There's just no way. Philly looks very good. Jalen Hurts has improved um, tremendously. I, I think he's you know top two or three right now in the MVP, MVP race. Um, he's having as good a year as anybody right now. Um, the defense is probably top to bottom, the most complete defense in football. But I'm never going to bet against Tom Brady in the playoffs when it matters because that's what mm-hmm. I have been shown time and time again is that when it's time to rise to the occasion, he's going to rise to the occasion. So everybody's so quick to, to like champion these new guys. and um, I just think, man, take it week by week. Go with what we know. Until they prove it to you, and that's why I'm still not sold on the Bills. They haven't done it when it matters to me. Like they're very, very good, top to bottom. Like I'm pretty sold on the Bills. That's the one thing I will throw out there. I've been, cool. I've been overall quite impressed. So I, I hear you. I hear you. They haven't made it to the Super Bowl yet. But right, and that's I, all I wanted to say. I, like not as far as being a good football team. They're irrefutably a very, very good football team. One of the best football teams. But you got to win at some point. You got to win it all. You gotta have they even been to an AFC championship yet? Yes, they have. Okay, what was that? Two years ago? 2020. They made 2020, it. 2020, right. So, you know, they actually I won't say they took a step back, but they took a step back essentially <laughs> last year. Like, well, on, like you yeah, have to well, win it all at some point. Like it's in overtime. Okay, let's not rehash that game. They took a step back in the sense that Josh Allen played one of the greatest games I've ever seen from a quarterback Defense. and still lost to Patrick Mahomes. Posted defense because it's, <laughs> because it's not about josh and i think that's what people are are conflating here yeah yeah josh yeah, Allen yeah, yeah. Is, is playing like quarterback in the nfl there's no doubt about that but and this is why i think especially in the media like 
people are so tied to the quarterback that they lose sight of the rest of the team. The sure. Bills have been a, and I think this is what happened with the Chargers too, but the Bills have been such a good team in the regular season. Josh has been improving at such a rapid rate that people just tie the success of the team to him. The defense has also been ranked number one in the NFL the last two years. They were like top three, three years ago. But when it matters in the playoffs, they have always given up a lot of points in the biggest games and not risen to the occasion. Situationally, McDermott, what the hell are you doing? And we don't, like I said, we don't have to rehash that game. But it's not just about Josh Allen. And I think people are losing sight of that with the Bills. Well, last but, thing I'll say is I, that's also why, why Jalen Hurts is not an MVP, for me personally, an MVP candidate. Right. Because you just got to look at how good that Eagles roster is from top to bottom, skill position, offensive line, defensive line defensive backfield they have everything and they're winning they're finding ways to win you got to give him credit for the improvement that he's made but also it's hard to say he's the most valuable player when he's doing great things but I don't think he's putting the team on his back the way some of these other guys are but I think we got to get out of here I think that's it Uh, real quick do you have anything else that you want to say before I throw it to you to to tell everybody where to find you um no man it's another good show this week and um as we go, we need to start getting some like segments, and then that'll help us from like <laughs> straying. But no, but like, listen, I'm glad that we're saying it as, as soon as it pops up in our head. I think it bounces off well. But um, nah, man, another good week. Um, good stuff with you. Congratulations to you, man, with your with your new title at GH and oh, all the work that you're doing. So appreciate you, and want to make that known here. Appreciate you, man. And by the way, everybody, Kyron just was awarded. Uh, honors in the athletic hall of fame for his high school so that just shows what kind of person and player he's been in his career as well so look i think at some point i think once we get to the off season we can have some more conversations about what it's like to be a player what your career was like and everything and because i want to get into that right now there's just so much happening in the nfl but but right. soon we'll get to that too for sure for sure thank you man i appreciate that All right, tell everybody where they can find you, and uh, we'll see you on again, of course, next Tuesday as well. Um, You can find me on all socials at Kyron Samuels, K-Y-R-O-N-S-A-M-U-E-L-S. And you can find me on the Watch Playback app, where I'll be streaming games this week. I post the schedule every week on my my socials, and I'll be streaming there. Um, And, yeah, that's pretty much it, man. So uh, appreciate you again, Max, and uh, looking forward to the show next week. My pleasure. I love having you. See you soon. Thank you so much for listening to our Monday Night Recap and Performers of the Week episode. Remember, I'm Max Dean. You can find me on Twitter at TheMaxDean. And the Gridiron Heroics football show is available anywhere podcasts can be found. Tomorrow, we'll be back with our big midweek show, which means we're going to talk about news, some injuries, and then college football, fantasy, and of course, the Thursday night football matchup between the Broncos and Colts. Please follow us, subscribe, rate, review, anything that you can where you like to get our show. We appreciate that very much, and it helps us out quite a bit. We will see you all very soon.